When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take some really old stuff and present it in a way that will encourage you for whatever you've got to face today. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. We visit Job's Lament several times in this series of readings. We don't read as much um, about what his companions say, uh, but it is always, Job's remarks are always about what they have said to him, what their most recent comments have been. Eliphaz the Temnite holding forth in chapter 4, with these long poems and questions of, of Job. And then Job gets his chance to respond. I don't know what the point is half the time. What, why does Job respond? It seems like anything he says can, um, isn't going to really change his situation, but isn't that how human beings are, even at the depths of our despair, even at the hours of great grief and pain and loss, we still want to talk about it. We still want to say something about what we're experiencing. The thought that our suffering will just be a silent one that will go into eternity unknown and unheard is something that we often want to change. And Job does that. He calls out, for justice. His cry for judgment is one that goes all the way to the heavens. There is no court on earth that can really answer this question. Uh, Lay it out in the balance, as he said. Put it on the scales of justice. Justice is often depicted in courtrooms with, as a woman that's blindfolded, and there is scales in her hand and a sword in the other. But in the scales are weighed the balance of truth. Uh, We even talk about weighing someone's opinion or taking it with a grain of salt or whatever we say when we are trying to figure out if something is true or not. In the idea of justice is that the measurements will line up. We can certainly see this maybe in a situation with a car crash when the forensic team comes out to measure the skid marks how far they skidded before the impact or something like that. And we can get a picture of the science of what happened. When it comes to interpersonal conflict, it's harder to do this. It's harder to measure. It's harder to be precise about who did what to who or said what to who. Um, But Job cries out for this kind of justice to have his calamity weighed in the balances that the calamity and disaster and suffering that he is suffering far outweighs what he has done or left undone. That whatever his sins were prior to the destruction of his children, the destruction of everything he owned, um, prior to the loss of his family, his dignity, and even his health, uh, what could possibly have he done to deserve this? This is the question of all humanity when we experience suffering, if we really believe in this idea of law and karma, that 
When we break the law, the law breaks us. We violate certain norms or boundaries of life. Uh, We suffer the fate of those violations. And this sort of makes sense on a, on a small scale for most things. Um, mis, misbehavior in school will warrant um, more visits to the principal's office, more punishments. Um, there is a truth to all karma and law to some degree, but there's also a great lie to it, especially when it comes to huge calamities like Job is experiencing. What could he have possibly done to deserve this? Um, all that is, everything is tasteless to him now. Everything is like a poison to him. Job says something that we might see as blasphemous. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. It is if God has taken a poisoned arrow and fired it at Job and it's hit him in the back. That's his view of God right now. That God may be perfect and may be fine and may be worthy of worship and praise, but God shoots us with God's arrows. Um, You can see how he might feel this. And all he wants is justice to weigh his accounts. He wants to be measured as a human being. He says, am I a stone? Am I made out of brass or bronze? Am I made out of metal? Am I made out of stone? No, I'm made out of human flesh. Again, we see this longing for someone to plead his cause with God for him, to be his lawyer, his attorney in the court of heaven, and yet nobody steps forward. Um, His defense is real simple. I'm a human being. I did the best I could. There's no reason why everything should have been taken away from me on this scale. And Job is right in this. What in the world could he have done? And the answer is, goes back to chapters 1 and 2, that this is a big test of God. And ultimately, it is a test that both God and Job fail, um, that God ultimately resorts to just shutting Job up at the end of the book. And Job resorts to questioning over and over again where God is. And then Job is quiet. He doesn't question anymore. He shuts his mouth. He puts his hand over his face. And ultimately, in in the light of this kind of suffering, all of us fail. All of us come short of our, what we think we might do in a hard time. All of us have regrets of how we handled things. And all Job wants is justice. And that is all we want. And so this crying for someone in human flesh to To see him as a human being is answered when Jesus walks on this earth. He becomes one of us. He is not stone. He is not made of bronze. He doesn't have a force field around him when he walks on this earth. Nothing can protect him from the changes and chances of life that you and I experience every single day. Nothing can stop him from having his heart broken. Nothing can keep him from the physical pain and the emotional pain of rejection, of hatred, of being put, taking the shame of the world and placing it on him. Nothing can protect him from that. God becomes one of us in the incarnation. To answer Job, to say, your case is heard. We know, God knows you are 
made of human flesh. And God will weigh this in the balances of heaven. Ultimately, that is the only answer to Job's complaint. And yet he cries out, even though he doesn't have an answer. And that is what we ought to do as well. To cry out to the one who made us, the one who ultimately holds those scales of justice, the one who does know that we are made of flesh and blood. And that is all we are. We expect so much of ourselves um, sometimes, when ultimately God made us to have imperfections. God made us to have flaws. God made us not to be always good at everything. And God certainly made us not to always be able to handle all the stuff that we've been dealt, all the stuff that's happened to us. Um, They wouldn't be problems if we could handle them easily. These are difficult things that you're going through. Um, And give yourself God's grace for these things, for your own inability to achieve perhaps all that you think you should, to to uh, let go of the need to always do everything correctly. Ultimately, God knows through Jesus Christ our suffering, what it is to be human. And so ultimately, our task as humans is to worship God, not to always understand God. Our task as humans is to love one another, not always understand one another. And that is ultimately what it means to love God and love our neighbor. Not to always have an explanation for everything, but to show kindness, love, worship, and the attention and listening ear that we offer uh, in love to each other. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Today, the church remembers three people, Martin de Porras, Rosa de Lima, and Toribio de Mogrovejo, 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 work on my pronunciation there. Uh, Toribio de Mogroveo was born in Spain in 1538, so right around the time of the English Reformation that's happening in England, the Lutheran Reformation, uh, but he was born in Spain, so missed out on, on that whole activity. Um, and this is the second generation of people that are born after the discovery of Colombia, the New World, and all that. Um, is happening here in the Americas. He was a brilliant student of law and theology and was called in 1580 to serve as Archbishop of Lima um, in Peru. He objected that he was a layman but was overruled, ordained a priest and bishop quickly, and arrived in Peru in 1581 as Archbishop. He was confronted immediately with the worst of colonialism, the exploitation of the native peoples and all that was going on, 
and Toribio fought injustice in both the church and the civil order. He baptized and conferred many thousands of souls and founded many churches, religious houses, hospitals, and the first seminary in the Western Hemisphere. At Lima in 1591, among his flock were Martin de Porras and Rosa de Lima. Martin was born in Lima, Peru on December 9th, 1579. He was the um, illegitimate son of a Spanish nobleman and a young uh, black former enslaved person. So using this language to describe people is always a little strange. There are no illegitimate children um, in this world, but that means simply means that he was not um, cared for properly by his parents, by his parent, his father, um, as he would have been if he was born into an intact um, marriage at the time. So we don't mean any shame by using those terms at all. Um, we can see the chaotic nature of his birth and early life. Because Martin inherited the dark skin of his mother, his father abandoned the whole family. Martin apprenticed to a barber surgeon, and after learning the trade, he applied the Dominicans to be a lay helper, placed in charge of the infirmary as tender care of the sick, and his reputation as a healer led the community to request his religious profession, despite a long-standing policy that no black person may be received to the holy habit or profession of our order. That policy was rescinded, and Martin took his vows as Dominican brother in 1603. So from the moment of his birth, we see this racism against his skin color um, and his mother's cultural background um, happening in his life all the way up to him being accepted as a member of the order um, and being part of the doing away of that racist policy. So we thank God for that. Rosa de Lima was born in 1586 and a friend of Martin she shared his passion for the sick and poor. Rosa was exceedingly beautiful, but because of her family's fading fortune, she feared being married off to a wealthy man and her looks a compensation for the lack of a suitable dowry. To sabotage this possibility, Rosa disfigured her face and to contribute to her family's upkeep, took in sewing and worked as a gardener. An abiding passion for the poor eventually led her to the Third Order, the Tertiaries of St. Dominic, and a reclusive life of prayer that sustained her work of mercy to the poorest of the poor, particularly for indigenous peoples, enslaved people, formerly enslaved people, and others on the margin of society until her death in 1617. So we think of the hardships that these folks endured um, and the ways they witnessed to justice and peace in their time. Um, and Rose's story of trying to avoid a terrible marriage, um, uh, we, we, we um, remember that her struggles for the way she avoided that um, witnesses to the extreme, extreme stress of that time. And these three, bound in baptism, community, and friendship, testify the power of baptismal relationship and communion and Christian faith transmitted from generation to generation, incarnate in the works of service and mercy. So the founding of the New World by the European empires is one of great tragedy and suffering, of many layers of um, problems that develop in those early years because of greed and 
lust and all those things that are still um, echoing in the current social problems of our time. Um, and yet there were people who resisted that and did their best to mitigate the overwhelming onslaught of the times. Um, so we thank God for those who did their best in their moment to witness for greater freedom for more people. Merciful God, you sent your gospel to the people of Peru through Martin de Porras, who brought com its comfort even to enslaved people, through Rosa de Lima, who worked among the poorest of the poor, and through Toribio de Mogovejo, who founded the first seminary in the Americas and baptized many. Help us to follow their example in bringing fearlessly the comfort of your grace to all downtrodden and outcast peoples, that your church may be renewed with songs of salvation and praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.